warm welcome to another edition of The Drinks Break. Once again, I'm Charlie and I'm joined by Mark. Mark, you're on the line. Can you hear me? I can hear you loud and clear. How are you doing, my friend? Yeah, not too bad, mate. You all good? Yeah, all good. Yeah, strange doing this uh, in this way, isn't it? It's the first time we've done it where we've not actually been in the same room. It's different. Yeah, yeah I know. It's going to be a lot different, but hopefully we'll be okay and I'm sure we will be. Yeah, definitely. So, let's get straight into into the news. Obviously, you may have heard or may not have heard with the new government announcement, um, obviously with the stricter lockdown happening again, it looks like. Uh, and obviously football, which we are talking about, is going to be highly affected. So obviously the government have announced that all pilot uh, games will be cancelled. And also there was an agreement or they were looking into having fans back into the stadium come October time. But obviously with the new restrictions, that's not going to happen for a long time. So in a long term, football is really going to struggle financially and especially a lot of lower league clubs Mark what do you think yeah I couldn't agree more it's it's a real shame uh what with the the pilot events that obviously took place this weekend and the number of uh football league clubs getting the opportunity to welcome fans back into their grounds and as far as I'm aware you know they went off without a hitch I didn't hear of any problem problems taking place obviously Cholton my club was one of them didn't hear of any issues it all seemed very very organized and everyone was very prepared um so it's a real shame but i can understand obviously why it has taken place what with uh certain developments and an increase in cases and particularly in the football world as well what with the news regarding Leighton orient uh and west ham uh players and of course david moyes the west ham manager testing positive over the last few days i you know it can be understood but it is a real shame, and like you say, it is going to impact particularly sort of those football league, league one, league two clubs uh, massively in their in their back pockets. Absolutely, and I mean, obviously, we was quite fortunate in the six month period of the lockdown itself that no one actually went bust in the football league. But obviously, given the circumstances now, and especially non league clubs, they're really going to struggle to make ends meet. And I've also read that. The non-league, I think National League, National League South, National League North cannot start the season without fans because they are that low on funds. And I think I only read last season that three clubs in the National League itself made a profit. So are we going to see clubs go out of business or even go bust or liquidate? What do you think? It's potential. I mean, that's kind of worst case scenario, isn't it? But it is potential, certainly in those non in the non-league circumstances. When you say stats like that, in which there's you know three clubs making a profit in the national league, is is ludicrous. It's absolutely crazy. And of course, with you know with things like what's happened with with Macclesfield over the last couple of weeks, you know the them almost them being wound up, wasn't it, for the five hundred thousand pounds yeah, debt, which uh, as me and my family have. have Rightly mentioned, that's one week. One week of Gareth Bale's wages, um, <laughs> which is quite ludicrous to think. And you know, it's a it's a poor little debt like that 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 has put them in a big problem. And you, yeah, you could see a lot of other clubs potentially going that same way, and it would have a disastrous effect on on English football as a whole. You know, it's, it would be a real shame. Yeah, I mean, we're surrounded by quite a few non-league clubs, you know, probably in the five to six mile radius. Obviously, we've got Dulwich Hamlet, we've got Welling, Dartford, Dartford, Bromley, Bromley. So we've got some really local clubs there who probably really rely on fans coming into with gate receipts, etc. And they're going to really struggle. They are. They they really are, yeah. I don't know, you know, 
obviously these the, are these are grounds as well, especially you know Welling and, and Bromley. I think they can hold a, a relatively decent amount for the club that they are. You know the stature of the club that they are. They can get a good number of fans in, and it would be it's a shame you can't even feel like you can do a test of how it would work in the national league. You know, trying to get in a third of fans, and that would be a smaller amount as well than your football league and your, your obviously your Premier League grounds. So yeah, it's it's a real shame and, and we, we don't want to see these local clubs go out of business because there are a lot of fans, a lot of people that do enjoy watching those teams, you know, especially when they do the, the non-league days, you know, when they have the international breaks, it becomes a big fanfare of, you know, you can't go and see your Premier League or Football League team, go down to your local non-league side, go and, go and give them some of your money and, uh, and things like that might not be able to happen and it's a real shame. I know you've been to Wellington. Have you ever been to Dartford Stadium? I haven't actually. No, no. It's a, it's a really nice stadium, and obviously it's a really nice setup down there. So obviously mm. we're clo- we're closer to Wellington, but obviously I've been to Dartford for pre-season friendlies to watch, etc. Against Millwall, and obviously it's a really lovely setup there, and that that could be a club as well that's you know they're going to struggle financially without getting the fans and obviously the backing. So it, it's going to be a real shame, and I, I think football in the long term is really going to struggle with money-wise, and it's a shame because, you know, like you say, Gareth Bale's wages would cover Macclesfield's debt. You know, you see Man United fans not happy they're spending £100 million on Sancho, they're saying we should spend more on him to get the play. You know, £100 million in non-league would probably run clubs for many a year, wouldn't it? It would, yeah. I know, it is going. And, and, and we don't even, you know, the clubs that we're mentioning there are obviously clubs that have been in the National League for a number of years. There's so many other teams that have obviously got a rich history of, of being in the Football League. You take a team like Notts County, you know, one of the founding members of the Football League. I know, I imagine that uh, Notts County is still a professional football club. Yeah, I wouldn't I imagine they've they are, yeah. ever gone semi-pro. They're still a professional team. But, you know, teams like that are going to be impacted. And with their, with their rich history, it would be a real shame to see any of them potentially go out of business. You've only got to look at Yeovil, who were in the championship six seasons ago. Yeah. Obviously, they beat us on the opening day, you know. So, <laughs> from what they've come from, they was in the championship six seasons ago. And obviously, they're probably being told that they can't play with fans. So, you know, a team like that who's got a great history, they're going to suffer. It's a shame. Things could only get worse for them, yeah. So, obviously, we've seen in the last 24 to 48 hours that Leighton Orient have announced that four players have tested positive for COVID and that's obviously postponed their Carabao Cup fixture last night against Tottenham now obviously they're going to lose gate funds as well so again just one game being cancelled is a hell of a shame it is yeah and hopefully I, I don't know what's going to be the scenario with them come their league games I don't know that's not you know been confirmed or, or announced what they're going to do if, if their game's going to go ahead as of this weekend um but yeah, you know that's that would have been a a real opportunity. I don't obviously they're not going to make the financial uh, gain that they would have done if fans were going to be in that game against Tottenham. But the opportunity for some of those players to have played against some of the, the you know some of the best players potentially in the Premier League, um, that's it's a real miss for them. And I'm sure perhaps the hope will be that that will that will take place in the near future. I'm not too sure, but. Yeah, to, to miss out today, uh, yesterday 
was was a real shame for them and and it's devastating with it, with everything that Leighton Orient have been through over the past few years like say going down to the National League they've had the difficult times of course the passing of Justin Edinburgh and uh and you know it would have been nice to just just see some good I suppose for them uh, and then this comes out it's it's this is a gutting gutting situation I think there was one thing that I read on Twitter and on various accounts was the fact that EFL had not planned for any postponements because of COVID, which I'm really surprised at. You know, you would you'd think, think, you'd think yeah, they have exactly. a backup plan. You'd think, obviously, you know, it's been going on for so long, you'd have thought that they would have had some sort of agreement, you know, if someone tests positive, they'd announce the game would be postponed straight away. But they left it to probably about three to four hours before the game kicked off. Yeah. So obviously, it's, not, it's not good. Yeah, and obviously, I know... Tottenham should have won the game, but you think Tottenham were meant to play there before travelling to Macedonia, I think it's today, to play the Europa League game tomorrow. So, you know, their players would have been told who's playing and who's not playing, and just get ready, and obviously don't get ready, just get ready for the plane tomorrow. So, you know, it's going to put them in a bit of fixture at disarray, isn't it? Because it's another game that they've got to play. Yeah, it adds some extra fixture congestion further down the line that they wouldn't have, have anticipated. And the fact that, like you say, the fact that the EFL didn't have a plan for a scenario like this, I'm sure they've kind of just, uh, you know, with, with cases of, um, like like we said, obviously West Ham have had just a couple of players. Uh, Middlesbrough had uh, Neil Warnock test positive uh, just last week as well. You know, if it's, if it's one or two individuals, it's okay. Clubs can get through that and, and move, move on to the next game. But if it's a larger number, it does cause problems makes things difficult and the fact that they didn't have a plan for it um and what what the steps would be is is yeah a real alarming situation and and just goes to that thing of a lot of fans thinking that the EFL don't really know what they're doing at times well i think a lot of people would agree with you with that wouldn't they mm. Wigan, Wigan and Blackpool fans as well no oh, and Charlton yeah. fans trust me absolutely yeah uh, there's one <laughs> question i want to put before we wrap up this subject because we could talk about this all day couldn't we um obviously what Boris Johnson has announced, obviously, and with the pilot games not being going ahead, do you think football may be suspended again or not? Or do you think they're going to play it on? Uh, I'd like to think they're going to give it a little bit longer before anything like that. I think, uh, you know, it, it, it's very much dependent. It's all what-ifs at the moment, you know, if uh, cases are to to increase, you know, the I watched. I've watched a couple of the press conferences over this week, and say, and they go through the sort of worst case scenarios of if the rate was to double and continue to double over a seven day period, then you're going to be looking at, I think it was like fifty thousand cases potentially in in the UK within the next four weeks, um, and that's that's obviously a problematic situation where where lockdown would need to to take place, and obviously football would be impacted on that. But I think for now, I think things continue and uh, and we just wait and see how things pan out. Obviously, if more sort of late and orient scenarios, then things change there. I think we're also seeing that obviously once someone in a team gets it, it's going to be passed on. Obviously, we don't know who got it first at West Ham, but obviously it's been passed around, obviously, because they're all in close contact with each other. Of course. So, you know, it, it's going to be tough in the long run and football... Obviously, to summarise the whole subject about this, football itself is going to suffer. A lot of clubs will suffer financially and may be forced to um, 
obviously go into administration or go bust or out of business. It's going to be a shame. And obviously, we hope that football continues because, you know, obviously, given the current climate, football is what keeps most people going. So obviously, football football is our is our livelihood, isn't it? It's what we talk about all day. It's what we love. So hopefully, you know, we can keep it going. Uh, so let's get that out of the way. So let's get on to our next topic. Now, we're going to review the last week's Premier League season. Obviously, Premier League weekend, sorry. Now, Mark, you, you texted me last night with some very interesting stats and there was quite a few things that riled you a bit. But let's start off with the good thing. Now, you told me a stat last night that it was the highest scoring Premier League weekend in history without the 22 teams. Obviously, we're in a 20-team situation now. But go on, explain to me about the weekend. Yeah, obviously, it was a very topsy-turvy weekend for a number of reasons. And like you say, the, the big talking point was the sheer amount of goals that took place this weekend. And the, the previous record uh, for a, a 20-team Premier League weekend was 43 goals, which was back in uh, February of 2011, so a good nine years ago now. Uh, funnily enough, on that day, for I'm going to haunt Arsenal fans here, but make Newcastle fans really smile, uh, this was the day that uh, Newcastle came up from 4-0 down at St. James's Park to draw 4 all the, uh, the late Czech Teote, with the equalising goal on that day. Um, but that record has stood for nine years and it was broken as of this weekend uh, with 44 goals scored across the 10 games, which just shows the sheer striking power, the sheer force that uh, these Premier League teams have. But I say, obviously, we talk about that and there are a number of other things that took place. There were five red cards across the weekend, which was quite remarkable. And uh, the stat that you mentioned, we'll talk about all these things together in a moment, but the the stat that I mentioned that was quite a strange one was that uh, there were eight penalties across the Premier League weekend uh, this weekend, which means that there's already been 13 penalties over the first two weekends of the season. Now, the most in a single season is 106, which happened twice in the 2009-2010 season and the 2016-17 season. If things carry on like that, that stat is going to get broken. And in the EFL Cup yesterday, there were four games and seven penalties in four EFL Cup games yesterday. That's ridiculous. It is. And this is my kind of point. Is this just a happy coincidence that this is how the season has started? Or is it that the referees, officials are being much stricter under sort of the given circumstances and the the way rules have changed over the last couple of years now uh, yeah it's, it's such a strange one and that's that was my kind of point there um i'm interested to see what you think now this is a topic that has really quite got up your nose isn't it i think it is it yeah has, it's yeah. just one of those things you notice when you you know you're watching the premier league games and you see penalty after penalty after penalty it's not the way that you want to win games and, and penalties drastically change games as do red cards and that happened a couple of times this weekend as well they drastically change how a game goes. And it's just, you, you don't want to see that be the way in which teams win or lose games. I think for I, me, it's going to be, it's sort of tough this season, I think, because obviously with all the, you know, all the games are televised now, I think there's a lot more pressure on referees and decisions because it's under the, the eyes of pretty much everyone in the world. I think that at the moment, the Premier League is available to broadcast everywhere. You know, you think we've got games on all the time now. So every game and every decision is going to be scrutinised. Now, I mm-hmm. think potentially the refs may be feeling the pressure. 
obviously, and I don't think it helps with the fact that VAR. Obviously, I know we've got VAR, and it's it was came in to benefit referees, benefit decisions. But obviously, do you think maybe the refs are being too reliant on the VAR, or do you think you know they're just finding it hard at the minute with the pressure I of think... obviously being televised all the time? I think VAR is there now to serve its purpose. I'm not. I'm still not kind of 100% convinced over VAR. I do like it when it obviously is used correctly in that it overturns something that was you know wrong in a circumstance, whether it's a goal or a red card or or a penalty. Um, but even you know this weekend showed, in my opinion, that that VAR can still get things wrong with the referee even if they've been go they've gone gone over to the monitors quite a bit this weekend which wasn't happening over the last couple of years they've been using the monitors to have a second review and yeah in my opinion they still have managed to get things wrong I, you may agree or disagree but the man united um victor lindelof's handball would you have given that a penalty absolutely no way no, no. way and i think even was it gary Neville on country yeah, I, know I think it was Gary person, but... but obviously he was—he basically said that it was a disgrace if he gives that, and the referee gives the decision. And yeah, and then and then the De Gea saving the penalty, but he's apparently stepped off his line. He's infringed, and it looks like he's barely an inch, barely a centimeter off the line, and and that's apparently an infringement, and and they've got to retake the penalty. For me, it's it's absurd, and you could, to get things. Still wrong in this day and age when you've got VAR is a bit of a peculiar situation. But going back to the point of yeah of the penalties, maybe it is that um, referees are feeling a bit more like they have to, you know, a bit more under under pressure, as you say. Um, I'm not 100 percent certain, but it's just it's a very interesting thing to point out how that se- how the season has started in that sense. Now I hope you don't mind, but I'm actually going to read through the text message that you sent me last night because it actually is quite up your nose. And basically what you said, Mark, was, okay, here we go. This is Mark's words, and I won't, put any, I won't put any swear words or anything that you put in, but this is what he said to me, okay? He said, right, point of discussion for the podcast. What the F is with all the penalties being given? There's already 13 penalties in the Premier League in the first two weeks, and in four cup games tonight, there were seven penalties so far because games haven't finished. Now, already, that's ridiculous. So I said yeah. to him, I replied back, I didn't even know that. Jesus, that's a stat and a half. To which Mark replied, "Effing ridiculous. Most penalties in a single season in the Premier League is 106. Like, well on course already to beat that. Now, <laughs> it is a topic that has really got up you at the minute. And I quite like it at the same time because it's given you a new lease of uh, conversation to talk about. Yeah, please note that those text messages were sent through beer goggles. I had had a, few, a couple of drinks last night. But yeah, no, it is. Yeah, when you, you know, something like that is just... It it can be the littlest things, can't it? That can um that can get a football fan ticking and something like that. Yeah, I'll admit it did get me. It got me intrigued as well as a little bit frustrated because that's not what you want games to be about. You don't want the story of of every single Premier League game, which it almost was this weekend, being uh, surrounded by penalties and red cards that impact the game. That's not what you want, and and it, it stops the flow of of a of the game as a whole. And, and makes teams have to change their tactics. I think, you know, that was the case with the Everton-West Brom game with their red cards that took place, Gibbs just before half-time, and obviously Bilic as well. Um, we'll talk about that in a moment, I'm sure. And and um, Christensen as well in the, the Liverpool-Chelsea game. Those games changed because of the red cards. 
and and yeah it really does impact your viewing i think as a fan as well absolutely now i'm sure that's a subject we're going to talk a hell of a lot about in the upcoming weeks and over the season obviously referees and decisions now i want to talk about the top five in the premier league there's five teams who have one back-to-back games, and they are Everton, Leicester, Liverpool, Crystal Palace and Arsenal. Now, I want to talk about Crystal Palace and the job that Roy Hodgson's done in the opening two games. Obviously, a, a very good home win against Crystal... Uh, sorry, against Southampton, sorry. And obviously, going to Old Trafford to face Man United, obviously, new Man United with some new players. And a great 3-1 victory with old boy Wilfred Zahar doing the damage. Now, you've got to say, Mark, that's a terrific result, isn't it? It is, yeah. And when you when you list those five teams that have won their first two games, that Crystal Palace are sort of the anomaly there, aren't they? You Absolutely, wouldn't have yeah. particularly anticipated it, and especially not when Man Man United are are one of those two teams at Old Trafford as well. Um, I think it was, you know, he Hodgson got his tactics right on the day. I have to say, he really got his tactics right. Um, they they pressed Man United, got them worried on a number of occasions, and then hit them on the break, hit them on the break early as well, really from the start. And that's why, they, you know, getting that goal within the first 10 minutes for Townsend was was really beneficial. And then for Zaha to go and score twice was really key because, you know, obviously Zaha is a very talented player. There's no denying that. And he is Crystal Palace's star player. But I was looking at um, his stats over the last few years and, and last season, I think I, I was quite shocked to see, I think he only scored four goals last season and only set up three. That's not really a good return for a player of Wilfred Zaha's calibre. But for him to get three goals in his first two games and two come at, as you say, at his old boys Man United, I think that's a good start to his season. And it certainly has helped Crystal Palace have a great start as well. Definitely, yeah. I think I read quite a few bits in the papers and obviously on media as well about Zaha possibly leaving. You know, he's, he's a wanted man because he's obviously got very very much potential in himself. Obviously, you know, like we say last season, his stats really wasn't that good. Obviously, you know, he's basically done what he's done last season in two games. So Mm. it's great for him and it's great for Hodgson getting the best out of him. But you've had a rant about referees decisions. Now I will have a little rant about Man United's defence. I said said to you that Man United need to strengthen their defence and they've not done it. And again, they're shipping goals. Yeah, it's come back to bite them. Hasn't it? Yeah. Especially to yeah, especially in that game. That's not a you know not a positive start that Ollie would have wanted. Um, yeah, I, I it wasn't even. I'm trying to think back to the goals. You know, was the there town, much Townsend really? At the back, Townsend at the back post. Yeah, no, no that he moved. wasn't being marked really. Zaha, Obviously, the, pen, yeah. the penalty you know is unfortunate yeah. as we've as we've said, and then the, the third Zaha's second. I'm trying to remember. Can you remember? Cut him from the left, got into the area, but no one really got to him, and he just powered it low under the hair. Yeah, yeah, it was a good bit of skill actually, if I remember rightly. Skill, from... but again, no yeah. one was close enough to him. It's, yeah. it's silly errors that are going to cost Man United this season. Yeah, and I think that yeah, I think like you say, it does come down to the fact that they haven't improved. They haven't added anything to their their defense. They haven't really added anything, obviously, to the whole squad other than than the Van der Beek signing, who comes on and scores a, a debut goal, might I add, which is obviously good for him. But um, but yeah, it's not a good start, and and they can't go through the season like this, leaking goals. Otherwise, they're not going to progress. When you've got, you know, United and and Chelsea and uh, Arsenal are teams that will want to be trying to bridge that gap to the the Man Cities and the Liverpools, 
and and this is not a this is certainly not a way that you're going to go about it if you're if you're Man United. They're going to have to strengthen, I think, and obviously they've still got a week or two to do some business. So I think if I'm Solskjaer, you've got to get on to the board above and say, look, we need some money for some defenders. Obviously, they want Jalen Sancho, but I think going forward, Man United are good going forward. I think Sancho will be a bonus, but I think realistically, the money they're talking about signing Sancho on needs to be invested in the defence. Put you in the manager's position then, where in that defence would you be looking to improve? Who would who would stay in your Man United defence and who would go? I think we keep Wan-Bissaka at right back mm-hmm. and we keep Maguire at centre-back. I don't think Lindelof is good enough to partner Maguire there. I know it was unfortunate with the penalty and everything, but I think they need a new centre-back to pair with Maguire and I think they need a new left-back as well. Yeah, that's fair enough. Wan-Bissaka didn't actually play that one, did he? It was Fosu Mensa as yeah. well. And that's not, you know, ideally, it's not a great second choice to have if Wan-Bissaka can't play. He's not really going to be much at Man United, is he, to be fair to him? I don't want to put him down, but I don't think he's going to be there very long. Mm. But no, I would agree that I think the centre-back and, uh, and, and left-back would probably be the, the targets to look for at United. OK, now let's talk about, I'd say our surprise team, sort of surprise. I tipped them to do well this season and you sort of agreed with me. And I'm going to talk about Everton. Two victories, six goals scored, two goals conceded and four goals for Dominic Calvert-Lewin. Now, they've had a fantastic start to the season, haven't they, Mark? They have, yeah. You know, We spoke about the, the Tottenham game last week and, and how commanding they were in that one, even just for a 1-0 win. Obviously, as as I mentioned, I think things were impacted uh, in the game against West Brom, the early kickoff on Saturday afternoon, with the Kieran Gibbs uh, red card and then Slavin Bilic being sent away from the dugouts as well because he got into the referee's face a little bit too much. Um, but even before those red cards, Everton was showing a competitiveness and, and a lot more creativity and free-flowing football. And I think that stems down to, obviously... The, the players that they've now got in that squad, you know, Hammers for me was probably the the star with with the exception of Calvert Lewin, obviously scoring the hat trick. I think Hammers Rodriguez is clearly showing his worth. And I, I mentioned in my predictions, I said a new player and one of the new signings was going to score, and he did a lovely finish. Uh, did Rodriguez? But no, I I certainly think even without the red cards, they probably would have gone on to win that game anyway. Um, and they they are certainly showing their worth. It's very impressive. Ancelotti's got them really playing a good style of football at the moment. He's obviously got the experience that he wants to build this team into being one of the powers of English football again. And I think, yeah, the way he started, he may well get it out of them. Yeah, and I think, obviously, we spoke about Hammers Rodriguez, the golden boy of the 2014 World Cup. Now, obviously... He's had a bad few years, but this could be the club that revitalises him, and we both agreed on that. And I'm really pleased to see him doing well. You know, he's calm, composed. He's got the talent about him, and I'm really glad to see he's showing it in the Premier League. And finally, after all them years that we expected him to at Real Madrid. Um, so let's talk about Dominic Calvert Lewin. Now, four goals for him this season. Been already linked with a call up to the England squad. Do you think he should be able to or not? I don't see why not. Yeah, I, I like the fact that at the moment it feels like we've got a little bit more uh, competition for that front position, you know. And and this weekend, 
has certainly shown that with with Calvert Lewin getting his, his hat trick. Obviously, Harry Kane being Harry Kane had a blinding performance for Tottenham, four assists and a goal. And even Danny and Danny, Danny Ings too, yeah. in that game scored twice. Yeah, for Southampton in the in a losing side. You've got that competition, and and they're players that are all different as well. They all bring something different to the team. I think. So it's wonderful to see. And if, yeah, if, if Dominic Calvert-Lewin continues to score, continues to uh, impress for Everton, you know, you, I remember, was it a couple of weeks ago when we did the predictor, you, you said that the striker might be the thing that Everton need. I did. And I think Calvert-Lewin, so far, I know it's only two games in, he's shutting you up about that. So we shall wait and see if that continues. But... I certainly think, yeah, with the way he's going on, England squad, yeah, it's, pot- it's potential without a doubt. You know, fair play to him. He's giving me egg on my face now. <laughs> you know, it's can he do it for a whole season, obviously? I like, but... see, I like to see someone, you know, change my opinion. And I think, you know, from the two games he's played already, he's looked magnificent. So fair play to the boy. And I hope he does well. So let's talk about, obviously, there was a the big game on... Um, Sunday between Chelsea and Liverpool. Now, let's wrap up the weekend review before we go on to the preview. Chelsea lost 2-0 at home to Liverpool. And in that game, was it once again, one of my critics, Kepa Ariza Malaga, once again made a mistake. Now, come on, Mark. Now's enough, isn't it, for Kepa? Yeah, I'd agree. Yeah, you can't keep making mistake after mistake like that, can you? It's It's... Yeah, you're, you're you're stabbing yourself and you're stabbing your team in the back, really, if you keep doing things like that. It's this thing with playing out from the back now, isn't it? It just frustrates me that teams can make mistake after mistake and not learn and not just try and adapt that style to something different that might work, even if you just experiment with it. And and he got punished. And, and you know, fair play also to... I've got to give Mane a lot of credit in the build-up to that second goal. You know, he played the ball with the intent of obviously putting Firmino forward and he got frustrated. You see the frustration on his face and, and, and the way he acts. But then he goes charging down, charging down as the ball's played back to Kepa. And just all he's got to do is just stick that leg out. And it shows that if you commit, then you can potentially cause those those errors. And, and that's what it did in, Kepa, in, in Kepa's case. Um, but yeah, I think now is probably the time. And if they get uh, it's Edouard Mendy, isn't it, from Ren, I think uh, it is, yeah. Ren in the French League, you know, that would be a very positive signing. And I didn't actually realise that um, the last keeper that they signed from Ren was Petr Cech, I do believe. Wow. And that didn't turn out yeah. too bad. <laughs> that didn't turn out badly. So, you know, I've not seen Mendy play. I don't exactly know uh, what I don't know about, nothing or... about him either, no. No, but obviously for Chelsea to be touting him and looking for him. He can't be that bad a keeper over in France. So, yeah, wait and see if it happens. There's something you mentioned in there about, obviously, playing out from the back. Now, I think I mentioned it last week in my weekend review from last week about Brighton playing out from the back and getting themselves shot in the foot. It's funny because Chelsea Mm. have done the opposite on Sunday. Yeah. Now, here's a question. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, Mark. Go on, sorry. I was going to say... Yeah, I was going to look at wrapping up this topic. Now, I want to talk about Sadio Mane. Okay, now he's just got better and better and better and better, hasn't he? Yeah. But I want to ask you a question. Is he the best player in the Premier League? I'm not talking on form, but I'm just talking in general. Do you think he's the best player in the Premier League or not? Oh, he would be in my top three because I think that Kevin De Bruyne 
would be my number one in the Premier League at the moment. Um, De Bruyne has been my number one probably for the last couple of years just because of what he can bring um, in so many elements of his game. You know, he is the creative outlet. You know, Mane can do probably the exact same things as De Bruyne. Um, but I just love, you know, De Bruyne does it from a deeper position in the midfield. He's not that full full on, you know, winger or striker always getting forward. He is that anchor man in the midfield at times that can pick passes that you wouldn't even see. I always feel like he's he's twenty seconds ahead of, of everyone else on that pitch with, with his ideas and, and what he what he brings. Um but I yeah, for Mane, top three, without a doubt, maybe just maybe even second just behind De Bruyne. I'd probably agree with that as well. I think I'd agree with that, you know. But I'd say currently, if I was on form, he'd be number one, I think. The way you started the season, perhaps, yeah, and that performance against Chelsea, um, yeah, perhaps so. But I think if we're looking over the last couple of years, it will be a lot closer. Okay, thanks for that, Mark. Now, let's move on to the final part of the show where we talk about the weekend preview. Now, obviously, it's another big weekend in the Premier League Championship League 1 and League 2. But obviously, continuing with the Premier League, we have another big week involved with the Yorkshire Derby between Sheffield United and Leeds United. We have the runners-up last season, Man City facing unbeaten Leicester City. And also we have the Monday 8 o'clock kickoff, which has been changed, between Arsenal and Liverpool. Now, are we expecting another big week in the Premier League and more goals? I think so, after the way this has started. Yeah, you know, you couldn't, you've got to expect more goals. Um I'd, I'd like to think it's not going to... Well, I say I'd like to think. I don't think it will be as much um, as we've seen this weekend. But I'm certainly expecting more goals from these teams because there are a lot of great forward-thinking players on show at the moment, on display. And if teams are going to continue to make these sloppy mistakes, then it may well happen. So, yeah, what you'll see in my predictions in a minute, I have gone for a lot of goals still. Okay, that's interesting to know. Now, I want to talk about the championship. You know, we've talked a lot about the Premier League, and I want to talk about who's impressed and who hasn't. Now, I think the team that I'm going to say is impressed me the most is Luton Town. Now, ever since they got rid of the previous manager and brought back Nathan Jones after he left Stoke earlier last season, they've, they've won their opening two games, a 1-0 victory against Barnsley and also a 2-1 victory against Derby. Now, it's, it's a great start for Luton. Obviously, one of the lower clubs in the championship with a lower budget and probably a lower fan base. But, you know, fair play to them what they've achieved so far in this league. And obviously, they lost last night against Man United. But they gave Man United a good game last night. So, I, I think so far, I'd say Luton have been the team that impressed me most in the championship. Would you agree? Yeah, I'd agree. Yeah, it's something about Nathan Jones and Luton Town that just click, isn't it? It's It was the same almost with Eddie Howe and Bournemouth. Um, you know, had the first spell at the club got them on the rise, got them to where they are. Attempts it somewhere else, didn't quite work out at Stoke, uh, and then and then makes that return. And obviously last season, turned their form around to make sure that they actually stayed in the championship. And, and they've started off incredibly well uh, so far. You know, to beat Derby, who I rated as, as going to be up there. Um, yeah, it speaks volumes, I think. And, and I'm sure Nathan Jones will be very proud. And he's... He just comes across as a as someone who he demands one hundred and ten percent out of his players, and if you're not if he's you're not going to give one hundred and ten percent, you're not going to get in that in that team. It's it's only expecting the very very best. Absolutely. Funny enough, I just 
looking through Twitter while we're on the podcast. I've just seen that Mario Goetzer is a free agent currently at the minute. It'd be a good uh, signing for any Premier League club at the moment. Definitely, yeah. Very good player. But on to my team that is not impressing the most, and that's Nottingham Forest. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you know, big budget, big signings they've made so far, but obviously two defeats so far. And, you know, you wonder whether that end of season, which was only like probably two months ago, has affected them dearly. Do you think so or not? Yeah, I think it has impacted them a little bit. I was looking through um, this morning and saw the number of players that they have signed that, yeah. over the last couple of years. I'm guessing, yeah, look at um, South London Press, obviously our local paper. Um, yeah, the amount of players that they've signed within such a short space of time and only a few of them still kind of being at the club just shows that that constant turnover um, hasn't worked. And it's the same, It's not just with the players at Nottingham Forest, it's been managers over the last few years um, and they've been really impacted. They, you know, I, I think we've, always, we've said that the business hasn't been too bad this window and the signing of Harry Arter that they made today is a, is a good signing. He's, he's got good championship experience and, uh, and should be a, a solid outlet in the midfield. But I do think, like you said, they have been impacted by what transpired, of course, at the end of last season. And, uh, and it's carried on at the moment into the start of this campaign. Yeah, I know. It's funny. I'm just looking through their squad that currently played against Cardiff on Saturday. You can look at some of the players they had starting, OK? They had Bryce Samber in goal, very good player. Jenkinson, ex-Arsenal. You had Joe Worrell, very good up-and-coming player. Jack Colback, Joe Lolly, Luke Freeman, Sammy Amiobi, and Lewis Graham up front. Now, surely that's got to be a team that's going to aim high. It should be, yeah, of course, yeah. I've, I've, I've said that you know, in my predictions, I had them to be up there again this season, and they have been on a regular basis over the last few years. They somehow do seem to come close almost every season, despite what they go through with the constant turnover. Um, and I just... Yeah, it should be doing more and it should have started off the season in a much better way. And you lose 2-0 at home to, to Cardiff. Um, you know, Cardiff are, are a good side and, you know, Neil Harris has done, has done a very good job since since he's been in at the club. Um, but yeah, losing at home is, is never a good sign. And uh, and back, the back-to-back defeats, it just, it's it's worrying, I think. It's, it's not looking good and I wouldn't be surprised if... Uh, Savri Lambushi is one of the first to potentially lose his job in the championship. Bold statement, but I think I agree with you. So let's move on to League One and League Two. Now, obviously, Mark, you're quite a big stats man on League One. So go on, tell me about League One and what's happened so far. Well, League One, we know a lot that has taken place, obviously. We talked about uh, Luton being in the championship, winning their first two games. They're not the only side to have done that, of course, in the championship. Uh, with Reading and Bristol City also doing the same. Those three teams may have been relatively unlikely in the championship. Uh, In League One, it's the same in that there are three teams who have won their first two games. One of those being uh, Ipswich Town, who, Charlie, I know you touted very highly um, to potentially get back to the championship. Uh, They carried that on with a victory... At uh, Bristol Rovers, 2-0 win. So, I mean, to, for you, it's obviously no surprise then, I'm assuming, that, that Ipswich have started the season well. I'm not surprised. And obviously, I don't want to back myself up. But I, I think I've had a good um, good prediction with them. But obviously, you know, they've got a very good manager in Paul Lambert there. 
knows the league, knows the English leagues. They've got some cracking players as well for this division. And I really hope they go on and, you know, get themselves up this season because they are relatively a very big club for this. And you think it was only about, well, 19, 20 years ago, they was a European club as well. So yeah, mm-hmm. I hope that, you know, they can get back up and get back into the championship where they belong. So Yeah. yeah. Uh, I thought that was going through my mind um, just the other day. Obviously, we talk about when we talk about League One, we talk about the the number of ex Premier League clubs that are in there. Ipswich being one, of course. My team, Cholton, another Sunderland, Wigan, Portsmouth. The list goes on. There's a few of them. It's but isn't it? it is crazy. It is, and and we always and because of that, I think sometimes we set our expectations of those teams very highly, and we anticipate and and we saw it with our predictions at the start a couple of weeks ago that you expect Sunderland, Portsmouth, Ipswich to be up there. But sometimes that means that we kind of underestimate some of the teams that have, there's a number of teams that have done sort of back to back or, you know, two or three promotions over the last five to 10 years. And one of those teams who is another uh, team that have won both their games to start the season is Lincoln City. Now, I want to get your thoughts on, do we underestimate these teams? Do we forget about teams like Lincoln and what they are capable of, and is that is there sort of the evidence there with how they've started the season? I'd probably say we do. You know, obviously, you mentioned probably a good half a dozen teams there who are probably too big for this league, and they probably are. So, as you know, we look at right Lincoln's and that as you know teams that are probably underdogs, and we don't expect them to do well. But you know, you've got to give full credit to the manager and what he's done there. Obviously, they lost the Cowley brothers last season. Of course, yeah. So they, they could have easily folded and easily could have, you know, gone piling down the league, but they've got a new manager. I think it's Michael Appleton there at the minute. I think it is, yeah. As Michael Appleton's been in there. He came in when the Cowley brothers obviously left and, you know, he's done a very good job. He's got a good bit of experience. I was looking over his history. A good bit of experience in sort of League One and League Two, particularly at Oxford. He was the one who kind of got Oxford to where they now now are and now trying to build themselves onto a championship club. So a good manager there. Very good manager. And I think, yeah, going back to the original point, I think, you know, we don't want to underestimate clubs, but obviously with the calibre, you know, Sunderland, massive stadium, massive club, like yourselves, Charlton, big club, ex-Premier League club. I think, yeah, we have probably been a bit unfair on some of these teams, but, you know, I think it's good when they surprise us and shock us because that's what we like in football, isn't it? We always like the underdog to do well in football. Yeah, indeed, yeah. And like I say, you know, going through the table now, you've got teams like Lincoln and Fleetwood, Oxford as well, uh, Burton Albion that have gone through those, you know, couple of promotions over the last few years, even in Burton Albion and MK Don's case as well, both may have been in the championship. Um, and sometimes it just makes you forget about those teams that are trying to build a stock, really, um, for their, their, their side. Um, one of the teams that we have mentioned, we said about Portsmouth, um, they've started the season off with two draws and it's so strange to start the season off with two draws, no goals scored, none conceded as well. It's not a positive start in my opinion. Um, if you're a Portsmouth fan, what do you think? Uh, I agree very much. You know, it, it, it's frustrating looking at Portsmouth because I think I've got a, an affiliation to Portsmouth. You know, obviously they've got Kenny Jacket down there, a man, a manager that I loved at my club, obviously got us promoted stabilised us in the championship so I think it's a real big shame that they've started off so poor and obviously you know even when they was in League 2 they was getting crowds of 20,000 plus you know they're a massive club and 
I think it's a poor poor start for them. Hopefully, you know, if they can get a few more players in, results might pick up. But you know, I, I think if you're a if you're a Portsmouth fan, you're going to feel quite underwhelmed, and you'd want results to start picking up because I think you know they've had many a playoff occasion the last two seasons. I think they lost to Sunderland the season Charlton were promoted when they beat them at Wembley and obviously they lost to Oxford on penalties last season. So, you know, the aim this season is to get promoted. So, the fact they've started two games without scoring is quite a bit of a concern. But obviously, you know, there's still 44 games to play. So, I, I assume that and I expect that they'll be up there come May time when the season finishes. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, but yeah, I just can't help but think it's a it's an underwhelming start if you've you've not even seen your team score yet, but you've somehow managed to keep undefeated because you've got two points on the board. Um, another side in League One. I know we've pushed for time, so I'm going to just mention this side. Another side that uh, would have had an underwhelming start had they not turned the game around in injury time was Peterborough United because they were one nil down against Fleetwood. Um, yes, uh, on the weekend at uh, London Road. But two injury time, two injury time volleys as well from uh, Jack Taylor, Jake Taylor, sorry, and uh, Sam Smodix turn that game around for them. Peterborough should not be relying on two injury time goals to win a game, should they? No, not at all. And obviously, we look back to last season where they was they was unlucky because of the season finishing early because they were on quite a roll. But you know, I think it's one of those things where. You know, it's not easy playing this league when you've come back from such a long period of time off. You think they've probably not played since the end of February, early March. So they've, they've, they've not played for a long time. So maybe maybe the players are still getting up to speed with everything. And, but, you know, they've got... To, I know it's not nice to win like that, but, you know, two goals in injury time, it gives them a bit of confidence going to the next game. And, you know, obviously they've got a good manager there. They've got a good setup, They've got a good chairman. So I, I fully expect them to be up there as well. Don't you think? Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, I think I think maybe that is the turnaround that they need. Getting those two um, goals in injury time might be the thing that starts to kickstart their season. But yeah, it's just if it was me as a as a fan of that club, I'd be a little bit concerned that you've had to rely on that, or you know, they've gone through that game for so long and not really been able to break through until then. So looking ahead at the fixtures, they've got a massive trip to Sunderland on Saturday. So it's not easy. Know, yeah. Okay, so let's move on to League Two before we get on to our predictions. Now, once we talked, we talked about obviously teams underwhelming us, obviously big teams. Now that team in League Two is Bolton. We, I think we tip Bolton very highly, and I think a lot of people would have put them on their pre-season accumulators or whatever. Now it's quite an unusual um, turnaround for Bolton, isn't it? I think we, you know, they signed a lot of players, Owen Doyle in. But very underwhelming, Mark. Yeah, really underwhelming. Yeah, I want. I I said to you before the podcast that I wonder if it's people setting their expectations a little bit too high of Bolton and thinking that because of the club, because of who they brought in, they brought in obviously, like you say, Owen Doyle, League Two's top goal scorer last season. That is, are people anticipating too much from them? It may well turn around, and it might just be a, a sort of settling in process. But it is a yeah, it's a worrying time when you haven't scored and you've lost your first two games. It's not good. Okay, that wraps up our weekend preview. Now we're going to do obviously Mark Mystic Mark in a minute, where you go through the results. But I want to ask you a question. Okay, I do fantasy football. I know you haven't done it this year, but if you was a fantasy manager, who would you be looking to pick in your team this week, and who would you be looking to take out of your team this week? Um. I think you're probably basing it off of uh, performances from last weekend. I think 
Hong, uh, Son, sorry, I'll try saying that properly. Son would be my sort of star player from last weekend with the four goals. Um, he was very fortunate that Southampton, pretty much for all four goals, just left him in a in an acre of space to then have his have his opportunities. He's still got to convert them, and he and he did a very good job of that. But I think, yeah, he for me was my sort of star standout player, as well as, of course, Harry Kane, his his strike partner up there as well. Um, James Rodriguez, as we've said, would also be someone there. Trying to think maybe of a, of a defender or a goalkeeper who you would look to put in. Um, possibly, maybe based on my sort of predictions, maybe sort of looking at those uh, maybe Tottenham or Chelsea defenders, or even... Uh, a Burnley, maybe Nick Pope this weekend. In yeah, goal, I've got, I've got um, Pope team, yeah. yeah, maybe Nick Pope against Southampton this weekend. I think he should be uh, keeping a, a clean sheet. I know he's got to deal with Danny Ings, which will be a, a challenge. But yeah, I think uh, there's a few players there that you could list. I don't know, have you got any ideas yourself? As the, you are a fantasy football manager, so you, you've probably got some ideas. Yeah, I mean, given my team at the minute, I actually had a good week. I had Kane, obviously Kane got 21 points. I actually had Mitrovic up front, so I had a fairly good week this week. But I think looking at it, I've got Jamal Lewis who's injured, so I'm going to need to take him out. What sort of defender do you think I should put in there? Uh, hmm. That could be, you might be looking at, uh, looking at maybe someone in the Aston Villa defence. Mm, Tyro Mings, yeah. Conza, yeah, they've got foot, they've got foot, yeah, Ezri Konza, of course, after his uh, performance against Sheffield United. I I could see them keeping a clean sheet against Fulham. So, yeah, if you're looking for someone that might be a little bit of a cheaper option there, maybe an Aston Villa defender would be a good option. Okay, so let's get into Mystic Mark now before we round up the show. So, how did you get on last week, Mark? Did you keep an eye on your I did, yeah. I kept a proper I kept a proper eye on it. And um yeah, given given that I had no time to prepare last week, didn't do too bad. I got two correct score lines because I got Man City uh 3-1 win against Wolves, and I got Arsenal's 2-1 win against West Ham, which is okay. better. It's That's not bad for me. Three points for a correct score, so you got six points there. And then I got uh Leicester to beat Burnley, I got that right, just not the score. Um, and the same with Leeds and Everton's wins against Fulham and West Brom, respectively. So nine points for Mark over the 30 points. It's not bad. It's not bad. It's OK. Always, yeah. Room for potential. OK, so we're getting pushed for time. So let's crack on with these score predictions. Now, we started the Amex with Man United, newly defeated Man United, travelling to the Amex to face Brighton. What's your thoughts? I'm being a brave person here. Based on what I've seen from Brighton, I've been impressed by them. They've done a good job in these first two games. A great result against Newcastle that we didn't even mention properly. It was a great result for them. It was. The 3-0 win. They've got goals in that team, it seems. As do Man United. We know they do have goals, but obviously the leaky defence is a bit of a, a problem. Brighton seem to do okay against some of those bigger teams at home. Ever since they've got into the Premier League, they seem to do... You know, not bad, and pick up a few surprise results here and there. So I'm going for a two-two draw. Okay, moving on to our three o'clock kickoff at Selhurst Park. It's undefeated Crystal Palace. Palace, sorry, versus undefeated Everton. Yeah, it's one of those where either either one or both is obviously going to lose their 100% record, and I do think one of them is going to lose it. And for me, 
it's going to be Crystal Palace that lose their record. I've gone for a 3-1 win for Everton. Okay. Those goals for Everton are just going to do the job. Moving on to our evening kickoffs, it's West Brom versus Chelsea. Uh, yep, yeah, I've said that Chelsea are going to sort of turn around after their their two nil loss. I know things were probably uh, you know a little bit bleak after losing to Liverpool, um, but I think they're going to turn it round. And, and as, again, I'm still sort of worried about where points are going to come from for West Brom. And and the way they've you know they've conceded eight goals already in those first two games against Leicester and and Everton, it's not looking good, and I'm, I'm, it's not going to look good on Saturday either for me. Uh, Chelsea to win three nil. Okay, the last game of Saturday night is the eight pm kickoff between the Burnley and Southampton. Yeah, I kind of said um, I expect obviously I think that Burnley have enough to to keep a clean sheet there. Um, I think Southampton have got sort of a. a, a I, I, they obviously after conceding five goals is not good against Tottenham what I'm about to say but I think they have a, re- a resolute defence um, and Burnley don't have as much going forward as Tottenham of course and I could just see this on paper being one of those drab games so I've actually gone for a nil-nil just don't expect a goal in this one OK the Yorkshire derby at Bramall Lane on Sunday between Sheffield United and Leeds United uh, Sheffield United haven't looked very promising so far. Uh, obviously, back-to-back losses, isn't it? Yeah, they have lost both yeah. their games so far, so it's not looking good for them. Um, Leeds, again, they, they stood out in terms of their firepower. They just need to not concede as many. That's the, that's the problem so far, that they are conceding and conceding not great goals either. Um, so I think that they need to sort of shut that down against Sheffield United. And I think they will do. Um, I'm going for a 2-1 win for Leeds. Okay. Uh, Newcastle travel to the new the new Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Uh, yeah, obviously, we've said a lot about Newcastle. We've kind of bigged them up in our previous podcast, but then followed it up with they followed it up with losing three 0 to Brighton, um, which is not very good. Tottenham, I think, are now going to start to build on that confidence. Obviously, Gareth Bale may well be within the the squad. Um, against Newcastle, I wouldn't be too surprised. Going for a 2 0 win for Tottenham. Okay, now we have an exciting game at the Etihad Stadium between Manchester City and Leicester City. Yeah, my scoreline probably suggests that it's going to be a, an exciting game as well. You know, I've seen that there is that potential with Leicester at the moment where they're scoring goals without Jamie Vardy even firing on all cylinders. You know, his two goals so far have both been penalties and he didn't even score any of the four goals that took place um, against Burnley on the weekend. So I think there's goals there. Man City did exactly as I anticipated them to against Wolves, and I still see more goals coming from them on Sunday. So I've gone 3-2 to Manchester City. Okay. Final game of Sunday is West Ham versus Wolves. Yeah, again, another game that sort of sparks to me as maybe a little bit drab. Um, Obviously, Wolves didn't... uh, perform too greatly against Man City until they went 2-0 down. Then that's when the chances start, started to come for them and they really could have got back into the game more than they more than they did. Uh, West Ham didn't look, terrib- didn't look terrible against Arsenal, but not fantastic. Uh, I think maybe this is where they get a point on the board, perhaps just to get their season rolling. Um, and I'll go for a 1-1 draw. OK, the final two games is Fulham versus Aston Villa and Liverpool versus Arsenal. 
Uh, so, as I said, with Aston Villa, I expect them probably to keep a clean sheet. I know, you know Fulham have got the firepower. They've scored goals against Leeds, but just didn't get the win. I still don't know where those points are going to come from. Uh, Aston Villa won 1-0 last weekend. I'm going to go 1-0 again to Aston Villa this weekend. And then the Liverpool-Arsenal game, the late kickoff, uh, normally is a goal fest between these two teams, isn't it? We've seen many a goal There's fest between a these two sides. Game, yeah. yeah, and I think it's going to be the same. They've both performed very well to start their campaigns. Arsenal have probably exceeded people's expectations for the first two games. I know that they've not played the best sides, but this will be a challenge for them. But they expect goals, so I've gone 3-3 Liverpool-Arsenal. Very bold prediction, that. We shall see if it works. Well, thank you again for listening to episode six of our podcast. Now, I just thought I'd say before I end it, Mark's got some great ideas coming up. So hopefully, if you want to get on board, let us know, because Mark's got some really good ideas, haven't you, Mark? I have, yep. Hopefully, we're going to be doing a couple of different, uh, fresh uh, podcasts over the next couple of days. We've got some exciting uh, things lined up and people coming to join us as well, which should be fantastic. Hopefully, we'll get one out in the next couple of days. That's the plan. So, yeah, looking forward to it. And, uh, and please do feel free to obviously get involved and give us a listen and a share. Yep. Great words there, Mark. So, obviously, like Mark said, I reiterate it. You know, share us on Facebook, Twitter, wherever you like. We're on Anchor, Apple Music, Spotify. We're, we're on it. You name it. Give us a like. Give us a share. And we'll hopefully see you soon. All the best. Take care. Take care. Bye.